0: Moments ago, on the House floor, we passed by overwhelming numbers the ability to keep government open for the next six weeks. We've got to understand why we are here. The Senate has produced not one appropriation bill through the floor. The House, more than 70% of discretionary spending has now passed. I do not believe our troops need to be punished for us not getting the work done.
1: And happy Monday, and welcome to The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Monday, October 2nd. Uh, We're normally on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, but uh, I am back in Washington, D.C., and and it seems like I've been here perpetually nonstop for the last two months. I won't tell you what I'm doing. Uh, It it is interesting, though, in D.C. uh, uh, Somebody who knows a lot about D.C., Val Atkinson, is back with us. Hey, Val. Hello, Ed. Yes, I do know a lot about D.C. Well, well, so when you come into D.C., folks, there's a sign that says, if you see this man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Val spent a lot of time in, in D.C. And, and as well as I i am uh, here uh, doing some work. And Val, let's just start there. D.C. was very interesting the last two weeks because of the what we thought was going to be a shutdown. The Republicans could not seem to come to any real consensus that they were willing to be honest brokers. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) And so Kevin McCarthy gets to the last minute and has to reach a deal to bring some Democrats over. Let's take a look at a clip of Kevin McCarthy and then we'll talk about it.
0: Joining us now is Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida, who has been Speaker, Kevin McCarthy's chief antagonist in all this. So I wanna start right with what you've been saying all along. Uh, that you would uh, move to oust him as Speaker and what McCarthy said just yesterday. Take a listen. That's all right if Republican and Democrats join together to do what is right. If somebody wants to make a motion against me, bring it. There has to be an adult in the room. So are you going to do it? Are you going to move to Austin?
2: Kevin McCarthy's going to get his wish. I don't think the adult in the room would allow America to sit atop a $33 trillion debt facing $2.2 trillion annual deficits. I don't think the adult in the room would allow $8 trillion of this debt to come into refinancing at a higher level without serious spending cuts. And I don't think the adult in the room would lie to House conservatives. And that is exactly what Kevin McCarthy did in January to get the speakership. Kevin had to agree to certain guardrails on spending, and he had to agree to a process that would allow us to put some downward pressure on spending. Since the mid-90s, this country has been governed by revolving continuing resolution and omnibus spending bill. And what that means—
1: So, so about clearly, uh, Leader McCarthy, the speaker, uh, has a problem. Uh, he cannot control one Matt Gates. Uh, Mr. Gates uh, promises to uh, try to remove him as speaker. Something that uh, we were on the night that he was trying to become speaker uh, through round 15 before he was able to become speaker. So let's, let's start with at the beginning. The reason why we were at this impasse, uh, there was a need to come up with a, a budget, but they ended up doing a CR, continuing resolution, which happens a lot. We have 45 more days. So tell me, Aval, uh, what does this near shutdown indicate to you about where we are uh, and whether or not in 45 days they're going to be able to reach some real conclusion?
3: I think the real drama here, Ed, has to start and end with our Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, right now. Uh, he has no idea whether or not he'll be Speaker next year, this time, uh, or as a matter of fact, three months from now. He has no idea uh, because uh, Matt Gates has said that he will uh, call for vacation. And I don't mean taking a leave of absence and having fun. It's talking about a motion to vacate, uh, meaning having a vote as to whether the tenure of the Speaker of the House will continue. Uh, and uh, Kevin McCarthy put himself in that situation so he could become speaker. Uh, he knew this all along, that he was signing a, a large portion of his career and political life over to the MAGA group, that any one representative could say, hey, I moved to vote a uh, vacate, and you got to have a vote. And there's a slim five-vote margin right now. So uh, there's about 20 MAGA guys. So they could stop him from getting the majority vote anytime they wanted to. The problem is nobody knows what happens after that. There's a guy named Hakeem Jeffries still hanging around who just happens to be a member of that great fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. But I digress. He is standing in the wing. And the MAGA group, Republicans, have to be very careful when they throw things up in the air and say, let's see how it falls out. Uh, Because you could have enough people to make a deal uh, to not only vote, uh, Kevin McCarthy out, but to vote somebody in that even Matt Gates abhors uh, or can't stand. There is a lot of drama Ed, built around this piece here, and we don't know how it's going to end yet. Uh, I think that's just as dramatic and fraught feel as the whole business about our budget, yeah, which controls everything. We're talking about the Speaker of the House of Representatives.
1: Well, you know, I, I'm no Kevin McCarthy fan. Uh, I do not feel sorry for him because I don't think he should have ever aspired to be Speaker. He's probably the weakest Speaker in that. And historically, if you just go back and look, I, I've been doing a lot of reading over the last couple of weeks about various Speakers. And he is perhaps the weakest Speaker in the modern era, at least. Uh, I, I, a lot of people try to tell a story about uh, uh, Leader Cannon, uh, who the Cannon office building is named after. He appeared to be a weak speaker uh, at the turn of the century, but he was able to turn it around and become one of the stronger Congress people and ended up having the building named after him. I don't think anything's ever going to be named after Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he he has proven to be uh, mealy mouth and spineless because uh, if we remember... After January sixth, he got on the floor of the house, said Donald Trump was culpable, responsible, and then turned around and flew to Mar-a-Lago and kissed his ring. Kissed his ring, made amends with him, and then uh, so Val. So I need for you to make a prediction for me. Then does Kevin McCarthy make it to Christmas?
3: My prediction is yes. Uh, Some kind of way he'll make a deal. Uh, Republicans will line up. They'll just have to hold their noses and line up because they can't bear to think about the alternative. Uh, that is uh, a Hakeem Jeffries or someone else that they couldn't fathom to have in there. So they'll do whatever is necessary uh, to keep him in. So if I'm wrong, uh, I won't be terribly... Uh, uh, dissatisfied uh, but I think I might be right on this
1: one yeah I think you might be right too I will remind you that you're watching the deal or listening to the deal on the podcast I'm Ed Clark that's Val Atkinson it is Monday October 2nd we're normally here on the weekend but <clears throat> I'm in D.C. again so the schedule's been a little bit uh, erratic because of me needing to be in D.C. for work but uh, we're still trying to do this because there's so much news. So we have averted the near shutdown, valve because the Senate had a plan. Uh, they they said, OK, send us over something and we'll handle this because we're the adults. Uh, even, yep. Mitch, even Mitch McConnell, uh, who uh, is your favorite senator, uh, <laughs> had everybody lined up and said, look, we're going to do this. So it was 88 to 9 over on the Senate side. No drama over there, uh, but, but McConnell got with Schumer and it's done. Now, so uh, let's talk about the Senate and whether or not they are really mature <laughs> than the House. Yeah. They seem to be. However, uh, there's a sticking point. They they accepted this deal without uh, some additional aid for Ukraine, uh, which uh, I, I heard Lindsey Graham this mo- um, Sunday morning on one of the programs Saying that, you know, uh he thinks that they're eventually gonna come to some some additional aid for Ukraine. It may be a separate bill or whatever. What what about this deal making that went on, and especially over Ukraine? Uh, and, and how, how do you think that's gonna fare?
3: Well, the deal had to be made this way in order to get the kind of democratic support that McCarthy needed. Uh he knew that Democrats were not going to stand for any sizable or any cuts at all in the major issues such as Social Security, Medicare, those those sorts of things. And at the same time, McCarthy had to try to get something. And the MAGA crowd has always been against funding uh, the Ukrainian war, as it were. So this was a sort of in the middle Kind of solution that what we'll do is we won't cut Medicaid, we won't cut Social Security, but we won't have any money in this CR that deals with Ukraine. Now, the Ukrainian president, Volensky, has gone on record as saying without the direct and robust support of the United States of America, Ukraine can't win this war. Th- that was one heck of a statement, as far as I'm concerned, because that to me, that's one step away from saying, so I think I'll call Putin and see if we can get some talking going here. Uh, and, and now everybody else who's made commitments to Ukraine, they've got to say, well, what's going to happen to all of the billions of dollars that I've already invested, all of the equipment that may fall into Russian hands now and that sort of thing. It's 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 not an easy nut to crack here. So we're just starting dealing with the Ukraine fallout piece from uh the economic uh shutdown that we uh t- are trying to avert. Still, I know we got 45 days, but that problem is still not over. Ukraine is just one of the little pieces that happen to be affected because of of America not being able to hold up to its promise to pay its debts that they've already spent money for uh, or obligated uh, uh, to make debts for. Now, uh, Ukraine is one, but there are a couple of others, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later, but that is one of the more serious issues right now is how does this whole budget business affect that great war in Ukraine? And nobody knows yet.
1: Yeah. You, you know, we, we basically had a no Ukraine talking policy on this show since the war started, because uh, even though you, Ukraine is strategically important for a lot of reasons in terms of feeding the world, uh, it's known as the breadbasket to the world. It grows a lot of wheat and, and other grains that end up in places like Africa and everywhere else. Uh, and Russia wants a hold of it. Uh, we know that. Uh, so Here's the last question I, I'll, I'll ask about this right now and not budget related, because I do want to continue to talk about the budget in the next segment. Why are the Republicans, certain ones, Gates and, and um Marjorie Taylor Green and those folks. What what is their deal? It, it, are they so MAGA that they're willing to support Putin over the rational position, which is to keep Putin in check? That will help drive gas prices back down. It would help get more commodities out into the world and drive down inflation prices for food around the world. Why are they so committed to Putin? winning this is it only because of Donald Trump or do they have some philosophical position that I I can't figure out? Well
3: first of all, you know you can't ask those that crowd to be logical and rational about anything. It just don't work with them. they don't their mind doesn't go in that route. And secondly, you're absolutely right. they knee jerk uh, their positions behind whatever position Donald Trump takes. And Donald Trump's been on record for quite some time now as saying that there would be no Ukrainian war if he were president, because he wouldn't support Ukraine. And he don't think that Russia has done anything wrong. Now, now the MAGA people have got to take that position. They know their untold ruler, their leader, has said that he ain't for the Ukrainian war he will not support ukraine in this in their defense of their country so it was if i can use the word logic and and green and gates in the same sentence i'll say that it was understandable and logical to them why they would take this position of not wanting to support uh, Ukraine. That's the only thing they got out of this deal. Everything else, uh, they came up on the losing side. But that's the reason it is Donald Trump to come out saying they support Donald Trump in his anti-Ukrainian posture.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you know, Val, we got 45 days to try to work something out on the rest of the budget. When we when we come back from the break, I want to talk about what those things that need to be worked out. The Republicans wanted to slash everything. They wanted to slash and burn anything related to, you know, uh, helping support families and, and all kind of stuff. Uh, with the, They said because we needed to reduce the debt and deficit, but it's the debt and deficit that they created. How about that? Isn't that funny? Uh, So everybody stay right there. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk about the near shutdown and the potential for what's going to happen over the next 45 days and a whole bunch of other stuff. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message. The
4: next disaster is coming. The time to get ready is now. Make a plan. Identify meetup locations and people you'll need to contact. Put your contact list in your wallet, on your phone, and somewhere visible in your home. Build a kit. Store enough food and water for three days. Don't forget your pets. And consider buying a pre-made kit. Keep at least seven days of medication on hand. Work with your pharmacist and insurance company to secure the extra doses. Make copies of important documents, Keep them on your phone, in the cloud, or on a USB stick. Stay informed, learn about local hazards, take courses in CPR and first aid, and sign up for local alert systems. An early warning can give you the time you need to prepare for a fast moving disaster. Be ready, learn more at americares.org slash send us in.
0: Democratic Senator Diane Feinstein of California has passed away. She was the oldest sitting member of Congress, serving 30 years in the United States Senate. Feinstein is held by many for her historic firsts. She was the first woman to chair the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and later, the first woman to serve as a top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee. She was the first woman president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the first woman mayor of San Francisco, and the first woman elected senator of California. Her major legislative record includes the federal assault weapon ban, which she championed in 1994, and her five-year review of the CIA's detention and interrogation programs. Senator Feinstein was recently hospitalized after she fell in her home last month. Her aides described the incident as a minor slip. As of now, no reports on how the senator died. Senator Dianne Feinstein was 90 years old, confirmed by NBC.
1: And welcome back to our second segment of The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark, Uh, joined with Val Atkinson, as usual. And I'm in lovely uh, Washington, D.C., where all the kerfluffle is going on. (laughs) I I can see the Capitol building uh, from where I am. And uh, and I'm just wondering what really goes on in there sometimes, Val. It's like, uh, uh, you know... They always say you don't want to see people making the sausage, right? <laughs> so there's been some sausage making going on. Uh we, we uh in the uh coming back in from the break, we saw a clip about Senator Diane Feinstein. Uh and I want to talk about the Senate some more and also get back to uh what's potentially on the line with the budget deal. Uh first, but first of all, let's talk about the senator, her passing. Uh there had been a number of people calling for her to leave her office and she said she wasn't going anywhere she was going to stay until she died and she did she died in office uh so now governor gavin newsom needs to appoint somebody now there's a couple of interesting races going on uh, for a vacant senate seat in california um and you know adam schiff was running and some other folks what what does the governor of california do here what does gavin newsom do here and then uh before that though Talk about the legacy of Senator Feinstein, because she was in that first big group of women. And I, I say group, big group, relatively speaking. There are six women that came into the Senate, and I think in 92, she had been the mayor in San Francisco, uh, and she stayed there for a long time. With her gone, what does that mean?
3: Well, what that means is that what she leaves a great legacy behind, Ed. She started something in California that spread eastward throughout the nation. And with the help of uh, who we now uh, call uh, uh, Speaker Emeritus, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, and some other people, they made it almost a foregone conclusion that women belong in the U.S. Senate and in Congress and in national politics. And Feinstein had a lot to do with that. She was an eager fighter. She didn't back down. I I, I loved her feistiness. I, I loved the way she stood up and just told people uh, from the beginning, no, we will not accept that, or yes, we are going to do X or Y. So uh, she'll be missed, there's no question about that. Uh, she'll be the kind of people uh, person that's remembered when it comes to small things. It's the small things that you think about when you remember people. I recall a time that she bought uh, seersucker suits for all of the women in, uh, in the Senate so that they could uh, wear them or, or and the men were coming dressed in seersucker suits uh, and to support uh, some crazy day. And the women normally didn't participate in that. First of all, there wasn't enough women in the U.S. Senate. So I think it was about five at that time. So she bought herself one and bought four others uh, and uh, paraded around, and it was a big deal. And she had a, a habit of sending flowers uh, to her fellow senators on their birthdays and other uh, great occasions. Uh, she was also a painter. She did watercolor painting. And uh, our, our Speaker Emeritus, Nancy Pelosi, brags about the watercolor painting that she had in her office and also Senator Barbara Boxer had in her office that was done by Feinstein. So it was those little small things that she used to do that made her stand out in the minds of her colleagues and supporters and friends, even the people who were on the different side of the aisle in terms of political positions than she was, they really respected her quite a bit. So that's when you start talking about respect for people, go talk to people that they didn't agree with politically and professionally and see how they talk about them. And when you go go down that road, you won't find anything but a lot of respect and good things said about Diane Feinstein.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I heard uh, Senator Lindsey Graham on one of the Sunday shows. He got choked up a little bit, and he said that she, she was one of his best friends in the Senate, and and he, you know, really uh, took to heart uh, those kind of little things that you talk about. It, it, she remembered birthdays and sent people stuff, and she was constantly trying to get people together. Of course, when they go caucus, and they all Republicans or all Democrats, they're trying to get through what they want to get through. But at the same time, you can't get anything through nowadays when there's always always a perpetual 50-50 Senate, right? In your favorite subject, the filibuster, still exists. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to get stuff done, but they got something done on the budget in the Senate much easier than they did over in the House. So let's step back to the budget uh, for a second. Uh, again, the Republicans make this claim that uh, there's all this overspending by the Democrats. That they have to pull back, and really, what it is is they gave tax breaks to rich people, so they have no revenue uh, to pay for stuff that they had promised to pay for, and so America's credit rating is on the line because these idiots won't tell the truth about it. Uh, some of the things they want to cut, Val, well, is you know SNAP and TANF and, and and Medicaid and all those kind of things like that. When they constantly talk about the border, that but so so I heard. Uh, Speaker McCarthy on one of the city programs say, well, uh, they're not going to come to any deal unless Joe Biden comes to the table and starts talking about building a wall and and stopping fentanyl at the border. I'm going to say something that's going to be pretty unpopular w- with a number of people, uh, but drug abuse was not a disease when they thought it was only black people. Uh, I, the, the, this whole notion about fentanyl being so terrible, and it is, uh, uh, and, but uh, it's the fault of Joe Biden. W- what about all the white people I see on the corner valve who are strung out on fentanyl, uh, who uh, now everybody wants to treat this as if it's something different than what it is. I, I, I know that's probably not popular with a lot of people, but I see it from city to city. I, it since you know the pandemic has eased up i've been in miami i've been in minneapolis i've been in dc of course i've been in chicago uh uh, i've been in atlanta uh and and i see it on the corner i see these people strung out on opioids and they don't look like me and you val Mm -hmm. And, and so now they're trying to blame uh joe biden some some for some reason saying that he's letting fentanyl in fentanyl's cheap to make uh, and and it can it can be made right here, but it also does cross the border. What is what are they really trying to say, Val? Here, uh, uh, because the budget still has to be done within forty five days, and if McCarthy's drawing this line on, we got to do something about the border, or else we're not gonna, you know, have anything in forty five days. What is that bullshit about?
3: <laughs> the bullshit Ed, is nothing but MAGA and Republican talking points. Democrats haven't figured out yet that what MAGA and Republicans do, they come up with talking points and they spread it out to the media. The media is the conduit to get that information out to the public. And between the media and the general public, we start debating it like it it's a real issue. It's nothing but Republican talking points. But we're the one that's giving it life. We give it life, and they sit back and laugh when they talk about uh, we need to build a wall because people are coming across the southern border, bringing fentanyl, and people are dying. And by the time you finish hearing what MSNBC and CNN and a few other pundits are saying about this at Atlantic and uh, at the Post, Washington Post, and New York Times, you would think that we have been in this fennel funk for decades and for centuries, and it's also terrible. And what are we going to do about it? Uh, and while we are doing this, Republicans are sitting back, laughing. Oh my God, I didn't know we get this good. It's just it was a talking point that we started as to why you need to build a wall. And now they're taking it and running with it. Oh, boy, they're even building a new fentanyl hospital. (laughs) What else can we come up with? Oh, boy, let's see. Is this the way it's going to work? All we got to do is come up with one thing, and the media and all these talking heads, they fan the flames for us and make it big. Uh, But all all joking aside, uh, we have got to stop the gaslighting, Ed. We have got to stop helping the crazies, the MAGA people, the the alt-right Republicans in their talking points. If they want to have talking points, let them do it. But I ain't helping them. I ain't helping them not one bit. And let's see how they do it alone. Because I know for one thing, uh, I am not getting in an argument with them about one and one
1: equals two. I, I refuse to do that. Well, I'm glad you glad you're not. I I, I want to play a clip, Val. It, this is your this is our other favorite senator. He's from South Carolina. He's the yeah. color. He's the colored one. And, <laughs> and, and, and and this is how he uh proceeded at the Republican debate last week. He and Kamala should have just taken the one sentence out.
2: America has suffered because of slavery, but we've overcome that. We are the greatest nation on earth because we faced our demons in the mirror and made a decision. So often we think that all the issues, you talk about crime and education and health care, we always think that those issues go back to slavery. Here's the challenge though. Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination being woven into the laws of our country. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided <laughs> to put money. Where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail. And you can now measure that in unemployment, and crime, and devastation. If you want to restore hope, you've got to restore the family, restore capitalism, and put Americans back at work together as one American family.
1: So, Val, there's no racist in America. America's not a racist country. Now, he also got into a fight with his fellow South Carolinian Nikki Haley over curtains that, that were purchased for the U.N. Why is he still in this race, Val? I, 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 I was going to say I'm sure he's a nice person. I don't know if he is or not because how can you sit up there, number one, and you're the only colored person on the panel? And 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 you feel like you have to make some statement about there's no racism in America. And then the only other thing he contributed to the debate was cutting people off and not really saying anything. You never could hear what he was saying. What is Tim Scott hoping to do? And has he not learned anything from Alan Keyes and Herman Cain and all the other uh, Negro pretenders uh, for the Republican nomination? What is his deal?
3: Well, I go back to my old psychology bag, and uh, I'd say that guys like uh, Senator Scott have lived their entire adult life trying to explain to whomever will listen why they happen to be, as you call it, a colored person and a Republican. So they take every opportunity they can to talk about issues that typical black folks don't support or embrace, but they do. And they try to explain it to you and I and white folks and anybody else that will listen why he takes the position that he does. And he's not crazy. And he has a a reason for taking these positions, and most black folks that think the opposite from him need to rethink their positions at some point. And he, he he takes every opportunity he can for that rant. He knows he'll be singing this lie until the day he dies. He can just ask Condoleezza Rice, Herman Cain, uh, a lot of other people that he's he knows he's going to be singing this song. Because people are going to be looking at him that way. And I feel sorry for him uh, because uh, he has a lot more to offer in his profession than what he has relegated himself to. That is, he's relegated himself to just explaining why he's black and taking the position of supporting people that are anti-black. Uh, in their actions and their policies and everything else. Why is he doing that? And, and he is trying to take the opportunity to explain to all of us why he's doing this, but more importantly, why he's right about
1: it. Yeah. Poor fella. Yeah. Uh so so here's the other thing, Val. Uh I, I I always hesitate to talk about the Republican debates, uh the way they're constituted now because the elephant not in the room, the orange elephant. Not in the room. <laughs> Donald Trump is still the front runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I sat there, just with my mouth agape at how nothing got discussed of any import from the moderators, it was all sort of petty nipping at each other, and none of them have more than ten percent of the Republican support a person like Mike Pence, Tim Scott, uh, Bergham, <laughs> you take all of them together, they don't even match 10%, right? Uh, and the question did come up in the debate is, you know, somebody's got to drop out, who's going to drop out? If you had to sign a piece of paper suggesting one of them drop out, and nobody would say they would suggest any of them drop out which means that Donald Trump is still the front runner, right, number one, uh, and he is still likely to be convicted of something because here's the last piece of this, vow before we take a break. There was a plea deal in the case in Georgia. Uh, one person has pled guilty to a charge. Let's take a look at it, and we'll talk about it. A big development
0: tonight in the Fulton County election interference case. The first of the 19 defendants admitted that he's guilty in the scheme as part of a plea deal. Bail bondsman Scott Hall pleaded guilty to five counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with the performance of election duties. Fox News Rob DiRienzo is at the live desk. Rob, what does this mean for all the other defendants?
5: Hey there, Tom. Well, for the defendants who were allegedly involved in a scheme to bust into election equipment in Coffee County, this could change a lot. As part of his plea deal, bail bondsman Scott Hall agreed he will testify against the others, which could strengthen DA Fonnie Willis' case against them.
1: Over now come the order. Remain seated.
5: A major development in the Fulton County Election Interference RICO case at a surprise hearing Friday evening. The first defendant admitting guilt, bail bondsman Scott Hall.
4: How do you plead to the five counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election
5: duties? Guilty. Hall owned up to the charges he interfered with Coffee County's election machines to try to find proof of election interference.
4: It's always very helpful from a prosecutor's point of view to have a cooperating defendant, which is what it looks like they've got here. Georgia
5: State Law.
1: So Val, well, Coffee County, Georgia. Uh they were looking at their voting machines and all kind of other stuff. In an attempt to do what, I don't know. Uh they it Coffee County wasn't gonna flip eleven thousand votes to Donald Trump. They barely got 11,000 people who voted Coffee County. Uh, so it, it goes to more of the idiocy. And now Sidney Powell, who is going to be one of the people probably next to, to well, is going to be the next person to go to, go, to actually go to trial. Uh, they're in a bad position because one of your people already flipped on everybody he says, yeah, I did it. Yep, we were doing sh- shit we shouldn't have done. But Donald Trump is still the front runner. And, and I hate to bring this up, there was a phony impeachment hearing (laughs) that had nobody who gave any evidence that said that Joe Biden did anything. Even their own witnesses didn't give any evidence saying Joe Biden needed to be impeached. So here's a long way to (laughs) a question here. What the hell? Uh, Are they going to go to the mat with Donald Trump? come hell or high water. And what does that mean? Will a third-party candidate try to emerge because they see this vacuum here?
3: Well, you, you know, when I first retired from the military, I came to North Carolina. The very first job that I had, Ed, was at an installation called DDH, Dorothea Dix Hospital, it is a mental institution. And a lot of times now, I'm brought back to that beginning. When I think sometimes as we used to make rounds and do things, you know, how sane would it have been for one of us to have asked some of those patients Why are you doing X or Y? Or why don't you do something different? Can't you see that this doesn't work? Don't you understand that you're not going to get different results if you keep doing the same? You know, what people knew back then, and in all middle institutions now, is that it's no need to talk to those people. They are there for a reason, Okay. And you shouldn't get surprised with the actions that they portray. You should not be surprised at their behavior, you know? But in still, some of us still try to make it known to them that, hey, you are acting irrationally. What you're doing doesn't make sense. I would love it if one of them would have stood up and said, I know, fool, that's why I'm here. <laughs> why do you think I'm here? And that's what some of these Republicans should tell some of us nowadays. Why do you keep asking the same question? You know, that's why I'm a MAGA Republican.
1: I'm oh, crazy. crazy already. <laughs> well, Val, you, what you know what? From me? <laughs> You know what? I, I think I think we're in for a rocky road. I, I'm, yes. I'm just not sure what's going to happen here. Look, I hear some music in the background. That means we need to take a break. When we come back, we need to wrap up and talk about the UAW strike against uh, the auto companies. We need to t- talk about Donald Trump wanting to kill Mark Milley. Uh, who just retired as head of the Joint Chiefs Staff, which ain't funny, but I guess it's funny in one hand, right? And anything else we can talk about before we get out of here. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message.
5: Eva Marie smoked 12,000 packs of cigarettes over 15 years. She quit. And now there's a new lung cancer screening that could save her life. You stopped smoking, now start screening. No matter how much you smoked, early detection could save you. Talk to your doctor or learn more at savedbythescan.org.
2: We are in a war, we've been in a war for, it's a 40 year war. Yeah,
5: right. right. It's, it's class warfare and the wealthy, the billionaire class, the corporate class have been taken and taken we keep going backwards. We keep going further and further behind. It's got to end.
2: You just heard from UAW President Sean Vane, who visited Toledo earlier this afternoon and spoke with strikers on the picket line at the Toledo Assembly Complex.
1: And welcome back to our third and final segment of The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. We've been chopping it up a little bit, trying to get caught up on the news. Uh, I'm in Washington, D.C. again, so... Please pray for me. I'm close to these people who are crazy now. <laughs> I hope it doesn't rub off. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, everybody was really afraid over the weekend, though, here in D.C. because they um, didn't know if uh, if planes were going to be flying and that kind of thing. And, and so it really put, put a halt to nearly everything in the city uh, for, uh, you know, this is where the government is. And, and a lot of people would have been out of work and uh, maybe not getting paychecks, military people at, at, at that. Uh, let, let's start off with uh, something real quick and then we'll we'll come back to DC. Let's start with the UAW uh, strike uh, against the uh, automakers. Uh, one of the things, you saw a clip coming in about people on the picket line. One of the things Val, here, here's, here's something that's really interesting. At the same time, we're trying to push to go to electric cars, right? And if we go to electric cars, what I, I think will happen is, there's gonna be less mechanics and a lot of other stuff because a lot of this stuff just runs off a of battery, right? There's no moving, you know, gadgets and gadgets that need oil and all kind of other stuff. You take away the mechanics that changes also probably how long people keep their cars and, and a lot of other things that we don't know is gonna happen yet. But one thing that's clear is, Automakers have been making a lot of damn profit. I'm talking about a lot. And not only have they been making a lot of profit, they've been paying themselves very handsomely, uh, uh, up to a 40% raise for some of these CEOs. So the UAW says, well, if you get 40%, I want 40%. And not only that, they triangulate uh, into this that, you know, uh, I want a show to work with uh and some other stuff. So uh, here, here's the question, um, with, with the changing of what we see as an automobile and, and over to electric automobiles and all this other kind of stuff uh, and these exorbitant executive salaries, does the UAW have a position here? Uh, do they have a valid position saying, I want a 40% raise? Or are they just saying that as hyperbole to try to bring it back to the middle you know, to some negotiating place. They know they're not going to get 40%, right? Uh, But they don't want zero. Uh, Is there room to to actually negotiate here and come up with something so this strike doesn't go on forever and ever?
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's a part of negotiations is figure out what you want, uh, what you will tolerate, and then you go substantially above that so that when you come back down from or through negotiations, you'll be near what's tolerable and acceptable for you and, and your group. So the, I agree with you 100%. 40% is something they know that over time could really uh, have a, a, a bad impact on the bottom line for the whole company, the entire industry, as it were because uh china and europe uh are really revving up their ev uh production here has to be a livable wage for the workers if it's not that then uh the the strike could go on uh indefinitely to, to until it does major harm to the industry
1: yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, they're going to reach some kind of agreement. One of the things that I'm worried about is companies say, OK, well, we're just going to move to South Carolina or we're going to just move to North Carolina. Even where we live, there's an EV maker from Vietnam that's non-union, that's building a plant near Raleigh. Uh, and and I think what may happen is that we we end up having a lot of these automakers just be completely you know, non-union shops, and then those jobs go away. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I worry that uh, they squeeze the union so much uh, that that you know the vehicles are just made in China. Period. You've seen even Elon Musk and Tesla; uh, they moved to Texas and other places, claiming that that was going to be the panacea for them. And then he still turns around and moves to China as the Republicans made him the darling last summer because he bought Twitter and bought Trump back, then he turns right around and moves to China because he gets even cheaper labor, and he becomes even richer. And, and I don't know why they haven't figured this out, Val, uh, yeah. the people on the right that they're being used, that, that, that capitalism, uh, the way it's constructed in America, and it seems like we, we make this point every show, but capitalism as it's constructed in America is very problematic. It is not for the betterment of the people as a whole because they don't believe in that. It is for the enrichment of the 1%. It's clear. You can look at the numbers. Uh, if you're a billionaire, it would take hundreds of years to spend even you know part of your money. You'd have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every day and still couldn't spend it, uh, a person like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or whatever, it, but all they want is more. And and I don't know, Val, where this ends. I hope they come to a conclusion soon because I don't want that to be the excuse for automakers, like I said, just to pull out and move to South Carolina or somewhere, pull out of Michigan and move to South Carolina and then have people working in conditions, not making enough money. But they got to work somewhere, right, to be able to live. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Also, the other piece of this, I'm going to show a clip right now. This is Joe Biden on the picket line. We should all be at
3: one pay.
4: And President Biden told workers today it's time they got their fair share.
3: You
0: saved the automobile industry back in 2008 and before. Made a lot of sacrifices. Gave up a lot. And the companies were in trouble. But now they're doing incredibly well. And guess what? You should be doing incredibly well, too.
1: So Joe Biden went to actually meet with some auto workers while the orange guy. I'm not even going to show that clip. I had it. I'm not going to show it. He goes to a fake event where there's no UAW people, where there's people holding up signs, union workers for Trump, who weren't workers and weren't in right. a union.
3: Right. And uh, it just goes to show that he was there just to make some talking points and those kinds of things. One thing I do want to say about the, the union people, though, Ed, is that we we got to remember there was a industry called Buggy Whip Incorporated (laughs) that used to make buggy whips that are no longer in business because the horse and buggy went out of business, replaced by the automobile and the train. And at some point, combustion engine automobiles will be replaced by EVs or something much like that. It's going to happen and i was reading the other day that the typical automobile ev takes less people to construct than the combustible engine automobile so that means there's going to be a reduction in in manpower anyway if you regardless if the the vehicle is built in south carolina or pennsylvania or beijing it doesn't matter it takes less people to build it. So you don't need all those people. Couple that with the whole scare about AI and the background that that's bringing up, we need to be prepared and get ready for the future. Whatever that's going to be, we need to get ready for it. And unions need to do two things at the same time to try to get what's theirs, what's fair, for the workers, but at the same time, prepare those same workers for the workforce
1: and the workplace of the future. Yeah, Val, that's what I'm most concerned about is that uh, our kids, grandkids, great grandkids uh, actually uh, can can make it. It will have usable skills uh, to do something. Uh, You know, the world is funny. I mean, there are people who are rich from doing tiktok videos whatever the hell that is uh you, you know i work in the tech industry i don't get half of this shit i i don't understand why we need it <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's my business that's what i do and 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 i have i am troubled a lot by ai i'm troubled a lot about you know uh social media and all kind of the other things like that and uh I'm not sure where we're going, Val. Uh, I won't be here to see a lot of this stuff. I, I imagine uh, the uh, the slaves sitting on a farm in Bun Level, North Carolina. My ancestors could not imagine where we are now. Me talking to you, I'm in D.C. <laughs> you're, you're you're in Holly Springs, North Carolina, and we're sitting here talking about all kind of things, politics and can vote and all kind of other stuff. So, you know, things change. And sometimes you can't see the future. I don't. I don't know what the future is. It, whatever it is, it's not going to be anything we recognize. You know. The, you know. Even what we're talking about right now. Uh, before we run out of time, Val, um, I got one other clip. It, you know, I try to avoid saying Donald Trump's name as much as possible, but he said something very bad uh, that I think we need to talk about. Uh, as we wrap this up. The former
4: president suggested last Friday that the nation's highest-ranking military officer deserves to be executed for communications the general had with China during the final months of the Trump administration. President Trump recently said that your dealings with China were so egregious that, in times gone by, the punishment would have been death.
5: That's right he said that. Mm -hmm. That's correct.
4: He is suggesting that you be punished by death, the former commander in chief to his former top military advisor.
5: Um, look, I'm, I'm a soldier. Uh, I've been faithful and loyal to the Constitution of the United States for 44 and a half years, uh, and my family and I have sacrificed greatly for this country. My mother and father before them, and you know, as, as much as these comments are directed at me, it's also directed at the institution of the military. Um, and there's there's 2.1 million of us in uniform. And, and the American people can take it to the bank that all of us, every single one of us, from private to general, we're loyal to that Constitution and we'll never turn our back on it no matter what. No matter what the threats, uh, no matter what the humiliation, no matter what. If we're willing to die for that document, if we're willing to deploy to combat, if we're willing to uh, lose an arm, a leg, an eye uh, to protect and, and support and defend that document and protect the American people, then we're willing to live for it too. So I'm not going to comment directly on those those things, but I can tell you that uh, this military, uh, this soldier, me, will never turn our back on that Constitution.
1: So, uh, Val Mark Milley, General, head of the Joint Chiefs. He took his walk out of the Pentagon the other day. He served the country well. He even served under the crazy man Donald Trump. He had to keep Donald Trump from declaring martial law and all kind of other crazy stuff. Uh, and so. Donald Trump says because Mark Milley made a phone call to the Chinese and said, hey, hey, fellas, let's calm this thing down. We don't need to go here. Mark Milley trying to avoid war because there's always communication lines between countries. But Donald Trump doesn't know that because he's not the real he's not a real president. He, He was a play play president, just like he was a play play billionaire. Even though he was in the office, he didn't know how any of that stuff worked. So there was always open communications between the Chinese and uh, the Pentagon back channel to avoid accidental wars. Just like we have it with Russia and Iran, we have people that talk to each other. Okay, so he says that Mark Milley is a traitor and should be executed. Val, they didn't say anything about that at the Republican debate the other night, but I guess I shouldn't expect that. But the fact that he Donald Trump said that out of his mouth, what in the world what what it, I, I i'm confused how how does that even happen and he said it with a straight face
3: a former president of the United States. the question remains how could those people vote for Donald Trump in twenty sixteen but a bigger question is is how do we explain to ourselves, to our children and grandchildren, how millions of people are going to vote for Donald Trump in 2024? How, how do we explain that to them and say that we, these people felt that this guy was going to be good for the country? The way I would explain it is they felt that he would be good for the country that they don't want to lose or that they want to return to, maybe a pre 1950s America. Uh, They want things clear along racial lines, who's in charge. They want things clear uh, along political lines in terms of what countries are good countries and bad countries and more importantly they want a situation a society a culture where everybody knows his place and her place and they stay in it those are the people that vote are going to vote for donald trump uh in 2024 and there ain't nothing you or i can do to stop that uh from happening they're going to vote for him anyway uh and the, the people that I really feel sorry for, Ed, since we're on this subject, th- those are the crazies, as we call them here. But, you know, there are going to be some people, that call themselves independents, that will try to rationalize why they voted for Donald Trump. And they'll start by saying crazy stuff like, well, I'm just not so sure whether or not Biden is old." Young enough to handle it. It's only three years difference between their ages. Or I'm not so sure that I feel comfortable with Kamala Harris being president because Joe Biden's going to die in office or he's going to resign or whatever. That, those are the crazies who try to pretend to themselves and others that they are rational, you know. And unfortunately, those are the ones who get the attention and we try to convince them and that kind of thing, and we waste all this time fooling around with them. And next thing you know, Trump's got a few more million votes from those people. But that's the way it's going to work.
1: until
2: yeah. we
3: get this guy out of our
1: system. Well, uh, I think you're right, Val. And, uh, but, you know, uh, the world is still working. NFL football was on Sunday. Uh, there's going to be Monday night football. College football is going on. Basketball will be happening pretty soon. Uh, people are going about their business. Uh, I took the train up to D.C. It was full. Uh, uh, airline flights are full, going to different places that I've been. Uh, people are back out doing a lot of things. And at the same time, I keep hearing this uh, sing song about the economy being bad or people being worried. It it doesn't seem to be the case as I'm out here. Maybe, maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing, Val. I, I don't know. I think I'm seeing what I'm seeing, which is people are fairly confident. Uh, I think the media wants a horse race. They, they 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 know that they have to create the conditions, you know, for people to be interested. And they think it's by putting up a poll that says Donald Trump and Joe Biden are tied statistically, which means absolutely nothing because that's not how we choose the president. It's not by who gets the most votes because... Democrats have gotten more votes, substantially more votes, seven of the last eight times. So, 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 uh, but they didn't win seven of of the eight times they had more votes. So, you know, I I just, I just wonder, Val, how we work ourselves out of this. One of the ways is we continue to talk about it here. We give people a different perspective on things. I think the way we talk about the subject uh, is much more, Clear, cogent, and 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 we're not paid for or bought. You know, we say what we believe and what and also what we know, right? Because we've been in this for a long time. Anyway, uh, as always, I got to ask you what do we need to look forward to in the coming week and anything you're working on, anything you want to talk about.
3: Well, the only thing we got to do is keep our ear to the ground, Ed. Uh, keep our fingers wet and in the air, so we know what's going on. Some people like to call it woke. I call it whatever you want to call it, but stay informed, Uh, stay vigilant. Don't take wooden nickels and keep your eye on the prize.
1: Yeah, I hear you, Val. Anyway, so this is what I ask you to do, as I do every time. Go out and do something good for somebody today, and I really do mean that. And come back with us next time for another edition of The Deal. You can also, uh, as a programming note, um, make sure you go check out, uh, if you live in North Carolina, or if you you don't, go check out the Connections link on the com. We have some interesting guests on all the time this past week, uh, we had uh, folks from the city of Durham, North Carolina and the county that went to Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, to meet with the people there about what do you do as a big city to make it livable and safe and have interesting things to do all at the same time while you acknowledge the heritage and, and everything of the, of the community. So that's an interesting show. Uh, the show before that, uh, we had on a young lady named Precious Lee. She has a condition called HS A lot of African-Americans suffer from it but don't know they do. And what it causes, it causes uh, severe blistering uh, in your private areas, under your arms and your groin, that kind of thing. Uh, it leaves terrible blisters. But what it does is it, it causes people to have shame and they don't talk about it. And then a lot of people end up dying young and never being treated for it. And, uh, and I think it's one of those important things that you need to know about. So go out and check out the Connections link. In the meantime, we'll see you next time. Bye.